We are um, getting into Revelation 6 and 7 tonight, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll kind of jump into this. So God, thanks so much for tonight. Thanks for the opportunity for us to be here and study your word. Uh, God, I just pray that you guide us, that this uh, our heart is not to just gain information, but our heart is to um, walk closer with you, more faithful to be more faithful to you, um, just guide our conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to kind of kick us off tonight talking about, a lot of times people talk about like God in the Old Testament versus God in the New Testament. So what are your thoughts on that? Like what is, when you think about the, how do you see God differently, showing himself differently in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Okay. I was actually having a conversation with somebody about this today. I was like, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, if, if there was one book of the Bible that you had to like have somebody read that had like that knew nothing about Christianity, what book would you have them read? And I couldn't come up with one. I said, you know, like probably a combination of you know like Matthew and John and Genesis, but like there's, that's, that's there's good. a lot of stuff in both sides. So I think. Like, obviously, Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament, but... I think or like, was he? I mean... There <laughs> <not>, it goes. <laughs> I mean, from my knowledge, like, it was more God the Father in the Old Testament, and then the New Testament is more focusing on, like, you know, Jesus. And that's kind of, like, what we're talking about here, too. Like, most of the stuff that we're talking about here in Revelation pertains to Jesus on the throne. Okay. All right. It's good, good, got a good start for us. What else? Like when you think of like Old Testament God versus New Testament God, what, what comes to mind? And this is like, be brutally honest. Like it's, it's all right. I, I view Old Testament God as a, a lack of leniency in mm-hmm. any faith. Like if you die, you're going to go to hell. Like that's kind of what I get Okay. I feel like the New Testament is stories of grace and grace and mercy and mercy. And yeah. So we're, the Old Testament seems like um really difficult life to live. Talk about talk a little more about that. Why do you say that? Like they have I just read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and there's so many rules that you like lose track of that kind of became mute after Jesus died on the cross for us. Like we still need to follow them, but if we miss, have a misstep, God offers grace and mercy and forgives us versus before he came down. But I struggle with, like, if he's God, did he still have forgiveness and mercy then, too, before he sent Jesus to die? So, kind of... one and the same. So, to kind of get into that, why, why, why do you, what makes us uncomfortable about God being a judge? Or God judging people? What, what makes us uncomfortable about that? Done a lot of dumb stuff that deserve judgment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I think like a lot of just one sentences it's like and so god struck so and so dead and it's just like the end of them and so i think that's kind of a scary thing another thing is like i feel like old testament god to me like from what i read seems more like a person like you have new testament god jesus the person but i feel like god in the old testament is almost like a like a person like an individual because of the way that like he like 
talks to Adam and Eve and like talks to Abraham and talks to Moses. Like he seems like he's more of a person that's like walking with them and like mm-hmm. talking to them. And I know that like there's like the burning bush and stuff like sure. that. But it just seems like God in the Old Testament is more like a person figure, whereas like in the New Testament he's more like omnipresent. Okay. Okay. So we're going to get into, the reason why I ask that question is we're going to get into a lot of kind of more judgment parts now in Revelation. And um, we're going to kind of, hopefully I can help. I, I think everything everybody said was definitely valid and it's easy to understand like why you would say the Old Testament God was like more harsh and things were more strict. It's easy to see. We're going to kind of, I'm going to hopefully show you maybe a different angle, maybe of all that. So um, we're going to talk about a word tonight called eschatology. Anybody, have anybody ever heard that word before? What's, what, does anybody know what eschatology is? Everybody's just like, oh, I don't know. I know I've heard it, but I So eschatology is really about kind of the theology about how things end up, like the direction that history is moving, the movement of where God's going to culminate. So eschatology, you know, a lot of times you hear people talk about Jesus coming back. And, but there's different opinions or different theories about how Jesus is going to come back and what that's going to look like and when that's going to happen and all that kind of stuff. Um, and salvation is tied up in that. So how God saves, what does the cross mean? All that kind of stuff. What did, what did Jesus actually accomplish on the cross? All those things are tied up in this word eschatology. And it's tricky um, because really in a lot of ways, since Jesus died on the cross, rose to the grave, people throughout history and Christianity have been fixated on Jesus bringing things to a close. I mean, even like in the first century, you had people, you know, there's some people that say, well, of course, all of the first, you know, early Christians were, you know, disciples were martyred and things because they didn't, they thought that Jesus was coming back. And so they, of course, they were willing to sell their homes. And of course, they were willing to leave all these things behind because they figured there wasn't much time. And I think there's some truth to that. I think that Peter and Paul, the disciples would be shocked if they knew we were sitting in a faraway land to them in North America, still studying the Bible, still waiting for Jesus to come back 2,000 years later, I think they'd be like, really? Like, we thought this was, we were almost done. Um, I really do feel like there's a, and even as you read Revelation, I think you get the sense like this is, there's some, this is close. You know, even their scripture says the time is drawing near. And so people have really grabbed hold of that we're drawing near. And so like throughout history, just a couple of examples, um, there's a couple times for sure where this idea that the world was coming to an end came to a real fever pitch. One was like in 1000 AD, because that was a literal millennium from zero, right? So right around 1000, there was this idea that, all right, I guess this is coming to an end. And so let's get ready. Um, and then in the 1300s, when there was the Black Death, that plague that kind of went all the way through Europe, people thought, well, this seems really similar. What's happening in our streets seems really similar to all the horrors we see in the book of Revelation. And so 
maybe this is the end of time. And then a couple hundred years later, Martin Luther, he was kind of one of the fathers of the Reformation. I don't say the father because there actually were several people before Martin Luther that were moving in this direction. He was just the one that kind of gets credit for it. Um, And really, uh, I don't know how much you guys know about Martin Luther, but um, really his whole movement um, took off because the printing press was available. So you could get, like, if Haley comes up with this idea before the printing press, it's really hard for you to get your idea out there. It took a long time because it was word of mouth or it was like scripture. It was like written down on scrolls and hand copied. It would take like a long, well, now you have a printing press. You can go make a hundred copies of something that you wrote and get it out there pretty fast. And so ideas would spread faster. So a lot of the innovations actually you see in Christianity coincide with technology. Like if you think about Paul, even in the, in the, in the, Old, in the New Testament and the missionary journeys, the reason why the gospel can move fast is because the Romans have roads. They paved roads, and so they could get places a lot faster than they having to hike through the wilderness to get from here to there. So Roman roads make the gospel. You, you know, you notice I talked about the first couple of weeks. The ch- seven churches are on a, a road system. Like that's why there's churches there because kind of like you know you think about now like where our gas stations a lot of times are right off the highway because people have to are on the highway and they need gas and so they built you know so it's it's a lot of this technology. So, but Martin Luther he thought. Um, there was going to be an epic final battle between Christians and Muslims in the 1500s because at, by that point, Muslims had come through and swept through a lot of like historically Christian places. Like, you know, you think about North Africa was a huge like center of Christianity um, in the first 300 years of the church. There's a lot of the major theology came out of North Africa. You know, if you ever see like St. Augustine, you heard about St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a black man from Hippo, you know, from North Africa and was, was a genius, you know? And so um, that all kind of, when the, when, you know, Muslims came in from the East, that all changed, that all that culture changed. Now, if you go to Morocco, Morocco is, is Muslim, you know? Um, if you guys know who Ryan and Kat Jackson are that grew up in our church, like they're looking to go to a country in North Africa. That's where a lot of missionaries are going right now because the church has really been, you know, rubbed out. And even like Turkey, where a lot of those seven churches are is that's a Turkey's a Muslim country now. Like Christianity is really in the minority in those places. And so, 1500 Martin Luther thinks there's going to be a big epic war, and that's going to be that's going to be how it's fulfilled. The 70s and 80s, the Cold War was heating up, and there was tons and tons and tons of movies and bad Christian movies that I watched as a kid and novels and books. There was a book written in 1988 that said 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. And then he followed up the next year with 89 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1989. (laughs) That one didn't sell quite as well as the first one. (laughs) Um, But so we, and then Y2K, you know, if you guys remember Y2K, a lot of you guys were either very little or maybe not even born yet when I, I guess when Y2K happened, but that was a big, you know, everybody thought like, is it Y2K? You know, like everything's going to, Come to a close. So, you know, there's been a lot of times where the church has kind of grabbed onto current events or grabbed onto a, a year and said, all right, Jesus is definitely coming back because I read this and this, and the COVID vaccine has a microchip, which is the mark of the beast, and don't take the, you know, like all these different things. Well, I was going to say, do you feel like that's going on right now in history, too? I think, I mean, there always is, a, there always is an element of that, of like people trying, or like, 
you know, Donald Trump is the Antichrist or Barack Obama is the Antichrist or Joe Biden's the Antichrist or, you know, Vladimir Putin's the Antichrist or, you know, there's, you know, whoever, whatever political person that you really don't like is now the Antichrist, um, which, again, I don't think that was the point of what, what um, Jesus is trying to say to John, but we'll get to that. Um, so I just say all of that because I think that Christians, we kind of make a fools out of ourselves when we like make these really bold predictions that this is going to happen and they don't. And then we're like, okay, you obviously don't know what you're talking about because you just spent all this energy telling us that this is going to happen on this day when the Bible clearly says no one will know the day or the hour this is going to happen. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I kind of hinted at it in my sermon yesterday, but I, I'm going to suggest based on some stuff that happens in Revelation 7 that we got a lot of work to do before Jesus can even come back. So there's, there's, some, there's a relationship between evangelistic work that we do to Jesus coming back. So, um, so um, I want to talk about a concept called the day of the Lord. So when we think about the end of the world or God making everything right, the, the Jews have this concept of the day of the Lord. There was like this day, some people call it judgment day, or the day of, you know, whatever. And so um, I would like to get a couple of people to, to go find these passages for me and read them out. So I have four of them. So if I could get four, I need one person to do Amos chapter five, verse 18. If anybody's down for that. Yeah, if I find the book. Okay. It's in the Old Testament. <laughs> it's little. Um, here's another little one in the Old Testament. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. Any takers? I can get it. Okay. And then also Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. Wait, what was mine? Zephaniah 1, 14 to 18. And then Zephaniah 3, 9 through 17. I can do that one. Okay. And then Isaiah 52, 7 What's that? Amos. Amos 5.18. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, I'll do, I'll do Isaiah. Isaiah, by the way, is... True. What's up, man? We're talking about the day of the Lord. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's every day. Um, all right, let me get to... Um, 7 through 10. So, um, go ahead, Haley, Amos 5.18. Okay. Um, my Bible has it subtitled, Let Justice Roll Down, and it says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. What does the next verse say? I keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, oh, I don't want to stop there. No. It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Can it I d- keep going? <laughs> yeah. It's going to be more, but just keep, if you want to keep going, you can. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I'll stop there. <laughs> okay. I don't uh, feel like day of the Lord's not great. Um, Zephaniah 1, 14 to 18. Great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. 
A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Um, I feel like I remember hearing that at school right after 9-11. Oh. Yeah, 9-11 was also a time when people started reaching a fervor because it was like this big attack and New York City's it. Yeah. Can you do that, Isaiah 52, 1, 7 through 10? Beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together. You ruins of Jerusalem. I got a little better by the end, right? A little bit. So what? <laughs> so what? What do you hear? What did you hear with all of those passages? You don't want to be on the wrong side of this. Okay. I think Zeph was a bit gloom and doom, whereas I and uh, Amos were a bit more cheerful. Do I have those right? I think Amos no. was. Amos was, Amos was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she had chapter three and answers. <laughs> so what do you so from what you could gather you're using your context clues from those four passages, what's the day of the Lord? Jesus coming back to make things right. To make things right. Yeah. And this is really like, you know, the word justice gets bandied around quite a bit these days. But this is all about justice. You know, we say, 
we want justice, we want justice, we want justice. And sometimes I want to say, are you sure? Because justice is awesome when you feel like you're the one who's been wronged. Justice doesn't feel awesome if you have been the one who've done, who's done wrong, right? Um, not that we shouldn't seek justice either way, but I think we just have to be, I think a lot of times we want to put ourselves in the spot of innocent and we want to cast aspersions on somebody else about how they are guilty. And the day of the Lord's kind of the great leveler. It's kind of the great, like, um, but at the same time, let's think for a minute about when we talked about actually the last couple of weeks, who's the audience that John's writing to and what's their situation? If you guys can remember kind of as we've been so far, like who are, who are the people that he's, he's writing, he's addressing this vision to? Yeah, the churches, the seven churches. And what's going on with the people in the seven churches? They're experiencing a lot of hardship, suffering, persecution, things that they have to persevere through. And so their question, and we're going to see this come up really throughout tonight, is, God, when are you going to take care of this? Like, when are you going to do so? It's kind of like, you know, you have a lot of people who have kind of walked away from the faith because of, you know, it's funny that, there are a lot of people, I think, that have walked away from the faith because of the judgment. Like they see God as a judge and an evil judge, but those are some of the times the same people who say, if God was real, why does he let these things happen? And it's kind of like, well, what, which way do you want it? Do you want God to like take care of all the things or do you want, you know, to, to have grace and allow God? Because really like, you know, if, if we go through scripture, Romans says all have sinned and fallen short. If we just stop there, all of us kind of have a leg to stand on when it comes to this conversation. And so, um, so I just want to kind of say that to start because we're going to see God being a just God tonight. That makes us uncomfortable, but also sort of, I mean, you think about like some of the movies that we really enjoy and some of the movies you really enjoy are when the hero comes in and makes something wrong, right? Fixes something that's wrong. Or like, you know, there, we have a whole movie series called The Avengers, you know, that that's their whole thing. It's like getting justice. And we, you know, we love, we, there is something inside of us that it's satisfying to see a wrong made right. It really is. Like, you know, even just, we saw that in the last year when voices who have, you know, been oppressed or things have happened to you when they started getting, having a voice, there's something that is like, okay, there's something, or, or, you know, when a person who's done something wrong gets convicted, we go, okay, thank goodness. Now, the different thing I think that I want to get into too tonight is a lot of times we read these passages and we think about a kind of justice that I'm going to, I'm going to term punitive justice. Anybody maybe give me a definition of what you think just based on how I used it? Um, what's punitive justice? Any ideas?
So, so that, that's great. That's, man, I couldn't have said it better. That, really, that was where I was headed because I think a lot of times when we read the, like your Amos 5.18, I didn't give, let you have context at all. I just had you read a verse out of context. I still feel a little unsettled. <laughs> and, it's, and it's harsh, right? It's like, it, the day of the Lord will be a day of darkness and no light. You're like, oh, crap. <laughs> you know, like, um, um, but... I think one thing with the Old Testament God that you see, um, you see, you actually see a very long-suffering God. A lot of times when these judgments are happening, or even like, you know, when Joshua is going through the promised land and like, okay, that's cool that Israel's got the promised land, but that means they've got to kick a whole bunch of people out that currently live in the land. And I know that's been a source of problems for people throughout history is like, okay, well, what? Like, that's not cool, God. Like, what about all these people? But literally the people that are being you know, that, that are, the Israelites are going through are people that God has been like, I need you to change. Like, you're, you're, this is not good. What you're doing is not good. Um, and they give them, God would give them hundred. I think sometimes when we read, we, it, we get the sense that it's like very immediate. But usually it's like generations. Like the Amalekites are a great example in the Old Testament of a people that, I mean, they used to, throw babies into the fire to sacrifice to their fire god. I mean, they would, like, your firstborn would be like, all right, Haley, and your firstborn, it's a cute kid, throw it in the furnace. Go have some more kids. I mean, they would just do that. Like, it was not even questioned. It was like a cultural norm in their, in their society. And they'd do all sorts of stuff. I mean, they would be the ones when, when the Israelites would travel through the wilderness, they'd travel in a, in a line that line would be my, I mean, think about a lot of times we don't, we picture like the little cartoons that we watched when we were growing up. We have this like little crowd of people, but I mean, the Israelites were thousands and thousands of people walking in a column. And so this is several miles long and there's, they're going over terrain. And so what the Amalekites would do is, you know, the, the, the old and the young, you know, the old weak and the young were the ones at the back of the line because they were slower. And so like once you got over the ridge now, the older people back there, the Amalekites would come through and pick off the, the, the weak in the back. They'd kill all the, they'd kill off people little by little as they go, as they would go through the wilderness. I mean, this is just the kind of stuff they would do. And God's like, I see you doing this. You need to change. And he keep, they keep doing, no, you really need to change. No, you really need to change. And then, and you see it even, you'll see it in throughout scripture where God says, do not go because the sin of the Amalekites has not reached its full measure. This is a concept you see in the Bible a lot where God's like, they're gonna, there's going to get a point, there's going to become a point where like the chances have run out. There's going to be a point where, but for now, I'm going to give you every opportunity to change. I'm going to give you every opportunity to, to come back. And so that's a concept as we get in, I want to kind of set the table for all this stuff we're going to get into because it's going to look really harsh and like what the heck god like when we first look at it but i think we have to think about it in the context of a very long suffering god a very patient god and so um so going back to revelation 7 now now we've kind of get because we we really have to root all this stuff in the old testament because that's really a lot of the imagery comes from that so 
We talked last week about Jesus. The imagery is Jesus is a lion and a lamb. It's a contrast. He's powerful, but he also was willing to be sacrificed. Um, so then we get we kind of have this God that we've set up. When we talk about God being sovereign, and you might have heard this in sermons or in prayers, what does that mean for God to be sovereign? He is over all things, and he remains the same in all things. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, that's good. It's a good, good start. <clears throat> Does it mean that he's independent? Could be. That's an aspect of it. He doesn't take a lead from anybody else. That's for sure. He's not taking his cues from. Nobody's giving God orders. Mm. So that independence in that sense. Anything else? Anybody wants to add? You guys are quiet tonight. It's a heavy, it's a heavy one. It's going to get heavier, by the way. I'm just going to warn you. It's, it's, it's kind of, Revelation's kind of nuts. Um, yeah, it's, 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 if God is over all, then how much do you guys think God is in control of stuff that happens? And I'm not asking that like rhetorically. Like I legitimately... Because it's one thing to say God is in control when good stuff's happening to you, but when there's like natural disasters and there's like people die of cancer and there's stuff like, how much, how involved, how much do you think God is actually like in all of that? What do you guys think? How does that work? Just going through cancer in my own family, like it's really hard to sit down and think that God would cause something like that, the pain and suffering, but I think he allows it. Okay. To teach us something or to glorify his name through the pain. And that's really different, right? Yeah. Like there was, when I was in college, there's a major interstate that ran from uh, north to south through the Twin Cities. And like a section of it collapsed. Like it'd be like if um, 670 going across downtown, if that section, that bridge that goes over the West Bottom just like dropped. It was like equivalent to that. Like it was like in the middle of rush hour. And a whole bunch of people died. And there's a very prominent pastor in Minneapolis that said God, that was God's will that, that happened. And that messed with a lot of people. Because it's like, uh, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God just like causes random catastrophes just to like kill a bunch of people. So we got to wrestle through that. Of, you know, is God like literally directing every step? Or is it more we have... You know, we've talked about free will a lot of times and God's sovereignty. And, and we're going to kind of wrestle through that. And I'm not going to – I will tell you this tonight. I do not have a definitive answer because no, we don't really know. Because the Bible has very clear examples of God directing things to happen. And the Bible has very clear examples of people having their own free choice to do things. Like it's both. Um, it's kind of that Forrest Gump theology. Have you ever seen Forrest Gump and he's standing over Jenny's grave and, and she's trying to, and, uh, has anybody ever seen Forrest Gump? Do you guys know this reference? And he's like, he's like, I don't know whether we all have a fate or whether it's, we all are floating around like a feather, but I think it's both. And honestly, like that's fairly biblical. What Forrest Gump says in that scene, like, I think there is, and a Hebrew mind, see, I want to lay all these layers on because this is, we come at the Bible from a American Western 21st century viewpoint. 
This was not written in America or the 20th century or, you know, like we have to, it's Middle Eastern. It's a Middle Eastern viewpoint. It's a Hebrew. I mean, John's a Jewish person. And Middle Eastern mindset can take two ideas that look like they're opposites that can hold them together in tension and be okay with that. We, our educational system is descended from a Greek mentality, which is it's either this or it's that. It's either hot or it's cold. It's either black or it's white. It's either up or down. Um, a Middle Eastern mentality can say it could be there are, we see both and we don't, there's some mystery in how those two things interact, but they're both there. And so we're not going to try to force the Bible to say one thing that it doesn't say. We're going to just hold that. So there's going to be a little bit of tension as we go through all this stuff. Okay, so that's like a beer, uh, a 45-minute introduction, so now that we can get into this passage. But it's really important to set the table. So now we're in Revelation 6, and it's a 32-minute introduction, so it's we're okay. Let's look at my counter here. Um, I watched as the Lamb. So this is Revelation 6, chapter 1 now, or it's chapter 6, verse 1. I watched as the Lamb open the first of the seven seals. So if, if for those who didn't hear last week, there's this whole dramatic scene in heaven where God the Father has this scroll that's sealed up and John's crying his eyes out because no one can open it. The only one that's worthy is the lamb, who's Jesus. He finally grabs a hold of this thing and now he's going to open it. So he opens the first of seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked in there before me was a white horse. His rider held a bow and was given a crown and rode out as a conqueror bent on conquests. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Um, his rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened a third seal, I, saw, I heard the, living, the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand, and I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, but do not damage, and do not damage the oil and the wine. The lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice come out of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there became, before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind after him. They were given power over the fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the field, or by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? And avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Okay, so I want to stop there. Wait, does the full number tie into your sermon about the 17,000 people groups? Um, kind of. Or is that different? Kind of. Kind, kind of. Okay. Um, so let's roll back through this. Um, so there's four, if you ever heard of the four horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, this is it. This is the four horsemen. Um, 
So the first one is a white horse. Um, what, what, what do you see the white horse doing? And it's not like, you don't have to interpret it. It's just what it says on the, in the verse there. What's, what's the white horse do? It's like the conqueror. Yeah, yeah. So I will, I'll say that these seals are, this is where we get into the idea of God's sovereignty, that Jesus is opening these seals, but basically what he's doing is he's showing them, and I'm going to say this a lot as we go through Revelation, the book of Revelation is about things that have happened, that do happen, and that will happen. So throughout history, there have been conquerors. You know, there have been governments that go through and they just plow through nations before them. You think about Nazi Germany. You think about, um, you know, lots of different, lots of different um, you know, empires and governments that just kind of go through and just conquer. I mean, in some ways, you could think about our country with Native people. We kind of just went through and just took stuff and didn't really care who got in the way. I mean, we kind of did that too. Now, this is where I will say there's a, there's a lot, been a lot of controversy over the years over the interpretation of these, over these horses. There's been different, some people would say, well, the first rider that's got to be Jesus because he's dressed in white, right? And he's got a crown on his head. And everything we've seen so far in the Revelation with a crown and with white is good and it's Jesus. But Jesus doesn't lay waste to people in conquest. That's not how Jesus rolls. That's not how he doesn't win people over by beating them over the head with them or putting up. That's But if you look at it, and I, I, that's the point that people would make. But if you look at it in the context of all, like, if that's the case, that's the only good one. Because all the rest of them are death and famine and all this other stuff. So in, it would, to me, it would be weird to have, like, one that's really positive and the rest of them, like, they kind of are meant to be sort of a set of these things. And I think it's a better case to be, I mean, I, I, could, I, I can see that perspective. I think there's a better case to be made of someone pretending to be a savior like Jesus, dressing themselves up in white and having a... You're going to say that? Yeah, I was kind of thinking, well, like, could you see how conquest is... Some people view it as, like, a good thing, or it has been viewed in the past as a good thing in some cases. They're like, well, but, you know, we're spreading our ways, you know, we're, we're allowing, we're, like, showing people that they live with, you know, like... And I, and I think for us, and again, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to be partisan or try to be political, even though this, this is kind of is a political book because I think he's talking about Rome and kind of what's happening with the Roman Empire and a lot of what's happening in this too. But this is where I get uncomfortable when I hear Christians say things. Heard Christians say things last year like, "Well, Donald Trump is our chosen person because." You know, he's doing this and that. And anytime I think we have a person 
And that's been done with other, not just Donald Trump, but other Christians have rallied around like a king or a general or a president and said like, well, God chose them to do this stuff. Like, you just got to be really careful because when we start like putting our trust in like a person like that, that's where this kind of stuff. And I'm not here to tell you like, well, he's definitely the Antichrist. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not going to say that. But it just, it makes me, when I read Revelation, whenever we hold up a person, it makes me go like, ooh, let's just, let's just be careful because are we putting our trust in a person or are we putting our trust in? And so it has happened. I mean, it's happened. I mean, it happened all throughout the Crusades, guys. I mean, the Crusades in England in the Middle Ages were all about, I mean, you literally had, like, let's say Drew is his age. You're 27? 25. 25. Man, <laughs> very mature. That's right. You can rent a car. You can rent a car. That's right. Yeah. We had a conversation about how Drew can rent a car without extra fees now. So, um, so Drew, actually, Drew would be pretty old, more like probably Joe or Jake or Colin. You're probably more in the wheelhouse of the age, of the age bracket. But you would come to, you know, the Pope or the head of the church and basically say, I'm here to defend England. And they would knight you and say, all right, you are forgiven of all the sins of up till now and everything you will commit on the battlefield. You're forgiven. So whatever you do is fine. It's because it's a crusade. It's in the name of Jesus. And they would. They would go kill and rape and pillage. And, and they would do, I mean, awful things. And they have these big crosses on their shields. Right? Like, you know, they would literally go up to somebody like Haley. They'd go into their village and say, do you accept Jesus Christ and have the sword raised? And if you say no, they'd chop your head off. I mean, that's what the Crusades would do, which the interesting thing is, is when you look at, when you read about the Crusades and you look at Islam really came, rose up in response. And essentially they did exactly what the Crusaders did just in the name of Allah instead of the name of Jesus. So, you know, you hear about terrorist bombers today, like, you know, their imam will say, if you go and blow yourself up, you'll go to straight to paradise and have 70 virgins. And all. It's just, it's, it was like the same stuff was being promised to, you know, Drew, if you die in battle to England in the name of Jesus, you're going to you go to heaven for sure. So you're like, let's go, right? Let's kill as many people as I can kill, right? And so you literally had like the worst so that's what's happening in this first night is when we get in our heads that we are the only good guys and we can go just kill and maim and conquer without any, you know, consequences. Jesus is like, uh, be careful on that one. Be careful to put yourself on this moral high ground where you are completely faultless. Um, that's really what's being, that's, that's what the white horse represents. And that was totally what Rome was doing at that time. Rome was, I mean, again, the emperor was setting himself up as the divine king of kings and lord of lords that, you know, divine, was divine, the divine leader that the gods had chosen. And so if you fight for Rome, you're guaranteed a place in paradise. Um, so we get to the second one. Um, what do you see in the second one, the red horse? 
And that's in... Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, by the way, what color were the what were the what are the, what are the colors of Rome, as far as you know from from things you've seen on in movies and things? Like what what colors were their Roman soldiers wearing a lot of times? Red. That's why it's red horse. This is not like as much as like it seems like secret code to us. Like when John hears her red horse, they think Roman army, Roman legions, going out and causing war. And again, obviously, Rome is not the only army ever to start a war. There's been lots of them, right? So again, that's why I say these things are happen. They are happening and they will happen. This is just, this is Jesus saying, this is what happens. This is the fallenness of our world. You have a conqueror. You have nations that are, are, Making war against one another? What's the third one? The black horse. Justice. Yeah, it's, it's really injustice, right? Because you, they got a pair of scales in their hand, but um, two pounds of weed isn't a lot. So think about like what you make at your job with your full-time wage. Like... Two quarts of wheat is like less is like the little thing in the grocery store. So your whole day's like, and you see this actually. I was reading a commentary that was written right after nine eleven, and right after nine eleven, right after terrorist attacks. Whenever there's something that happens like that, what happens? Gas prices go. Psh, the price of food goes. Psh. And so that's what. Not that these are necessarily sequential, but they are all related to each other. That when these things are happening, when nations are invading and when conflict is happening and when there's turmoil in the world, prices of things go up and it makes it really difficult. But notice what it says. So wheat and barley are pretty average, like a very average home is going to make things out of like wheat, especially barley. Like if you think about Jesus makes feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes or five barley loaves. Barley was like the a very cheap grain that you could make bread out of and can make things out of. So, so basically he's saying that the people that are just trying to make ends meet, life is really hard for them. But oil and wine is something that the wealthy had. The oil, so it's like, this is what happens in the world when you have conflict, when you have, this is a broke part of the broken systems as you see, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And we see that, again, happen throughout history. Matter of fact, in this period of time, in the first century, um, there's middle, there isn't really any such thing as a middle class. You're either poor or you're rich. And if, you, if you're born poor, you really, like, in our culture, like, we have so many stories of, like, I grew up in a, like, one-room shack with no electricity, but then I did this and this and this. Now I'm, you know, a Fortune 500 executive. Like, that was not possible in ancient Rome. Like if you're born poor, you, they won't let you move up. Like it was like there was, it was that culture was very hierarchical where it was like they were they were it was set up where you could not advance. You could not get wealthy. They would you wouldn't get let into the places where you could make money like that. And so that's what you're seeing in the black horse is just like there's there's, in, there's injustice. There's injustice. And we have a question 
and just because we're, I want to make sure we get through this tonight. I think the question that lingers out there is like, well, so what role in all of these things, the church, what, what role do we have? You know, when we see things like that happening, what role does the church have? Um, you know, how, how do we know, determine like what, what we should advocate, who we should advocate for? And that's been a lot of controversy too in the church has been like, well, should we stand with this group of people? Is if we do stand with these people, are bad things going to, worst things going to happen? Um, and then I think also earlier on with the, with kind of the, you know, the, the red horse, we can say, you know, how, what does the church, what role do we have in being peacemakers? You know, and I think in the, with the white horse, it's, it's how do we know that we're right? You know, I think a lot of times we just say, hey, we're going to go in and do this and we're right because we're, it's, it's our country and we, are, we want to be supportive of our country. But are there times we do things that we shouldn't be doing? And does the, does the church have a voice to say like, hey, maybe we need to rethink about this thing that we do? Um, and then you get to verses seven and eight and you have a pale horse. What's going on with the pale horse? What do you see? Yeah. I mean, Hades, what Hades is talking about is just like, it's basically like when you die, like, it's just like, it's like a, it's like an associative thing to death in scripture is when they talk about Hades. It's kind of like, um, it talks about Jesus having the key to death in Hades that like, he's, he's got the power over death and over, over that. So it's kind of playing off a little bit of the ancient mindset of that, but, but really, it, in a sense, like the pale horse is the catch-all. If you think about pale, think about somebody. Think about like when you're home sick, you don't have any of the color in your face, and you're, you know, you're, like when when somebody says you look deathly ill, that's what the pale horse is. It's like a sickly, a sickly looking, you know, situation where, and it's really you kind of see all the residual things that go along with war and conflict and injustice. You see people who are sick. You see people who aren't well. Uh, you see famines and things like that. Um, and so um, now. I have a question. Yes. Is there any research on like why it's the horse of death has power over a fourth of the earth and oh, not just... like to wipe out the entire earth? Well, what, do you, what do you think? Well, if the entire earth is wiped out, there's nothing for Jesus to make right again. Yeah, I think really what you're getting at with, with all that is, because that was actually my next question about, where, where's the, where does the fourth come from? Um, it is the fourth seal also. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, really what, what kind of the consensus is that as bad as things get, there's a sense that God is like holding back. Okay. It could be much worse. It could be worse. Like, and sometimes you think like, how could it be worse? Like, this is awful. And you saw, you see that like, in there things like the, the great depression, again, the black death where people are like, you know, global pandemics. It's like, okay, how could this be worse? But mm-hmm. I mean, this is basically saying like, there is a, in a sense, God is like keeping these things from really getting 
completely as bad as it could get. So there's okay. a sense that he's kind of holding back on it a little bit. Um, and again, I think, you know, things like Team World Vision yesterday um, is a good example of like a, a way that the church is trying to combat death and disease right instead of you trying to provide clean water trying to provide when when you have people who don't have access to something that's a key aspect of people's lives this is something the church does so so we get into verses 9 through 11 and this is the i think these verses are key because it really gets to the point where it's saying um you this is the audience essentially and this is why, Carter, I don't think that the, the pale or the white horse at the beginning is a positive because verses 9 through 11 are like, these are all the people who have been impacted by this stuff. This is the church. And the church, um, it says that they're the people who have been slain. So these are all martyrs because of the, the word of God, the testimony. And they're saying like what well, we say a lot. It's understandable. God, how long are you going to let this stuff happen? And I, and I really love the fact that the Bible includes this. You know, to me, if the Bible was a made-up, sanitized, like, official book, you would never have lament. You would never have people, like, questioning God. But it's, if you were to go through the Psalms, it's in there a lot where it's like, God, why is this happening to me? What is going on? Why is there a pandemic? Why are people dying? Why did, you know, I think about, I've done two funerals in the last six weeks of two wonderful, wonderful men, one who's younger than me. You know, and it's like, God, why do you let this stuff happen? And so, you know, this passage acknowledges, like, we have these questions and they're real. And really the only response, and it isn't meant to be, flippant, but it's really saying, I'm working something out. I mean, essentially what he's saying at the end where he says they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed. So to me, you asked a question about the multitude. Yeah, I think it ties in because we are looking at some martyrs in chapter seven, but I think it's, that's more just the big picture of the church worldwide where this is really focusing on the people who've been killed for their faith. Um, and so you get to 12 and here's where it gets tricky guys. So hang in there with me for a minute. I watched as he opened the sixth seal and a great, there was a great earthquake and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair and the whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree were shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. I remember growing up and we spent a lot of time talking about like end times and things like that. And so anytime there was like a, I mean, you probably have seen in your lifetime a moon that looked kind of orange or maybe dark orange and you go, oh crap. I remember thinking as a, as a elementary school kid, like and hearing some of this stuff being like, okay, I guess, the end of the world because the moon looks kind of red tonight, you know, like, um, and all of this language, remember we talked about the Bible is apocalyptic. It's very symbolic. Um, and this, you know, if this is meant to be literal, then this should be the end of book, the book of Revelation, right? 
Because if the heavens are rolled up like a scroll and the stars have fallen out of the sky, then it's done, right? Like, this is it. Like, we're, okay, well, I guess there's still a lot more revelation left. Okay, what's going on? A um, couple things are going on. And this is, this is what gets kind of confusing and can kind of be maddening about revelation is that it's, there's cycles. So there's going to be seals and there's going to be some trumpets and then there's going to be some bowls that are going to come and they're all going to kind of rhyme. But it's like, you got to think of revelation like a piece of music with movements and how, if you know anything about music, especially classical music, they'll have like a motive and go out and do all this other stuff, and then it kind of comes back later on. You'll see the same kind of part of the music again. Then stuff goes on, then it comes back. That's really what, what Revelation is going to do, where it is kind of talking about God bringing everything into a conclusion, which, again, Jesus is the one removing these seals, and so obviously he is over all this, kind of like you were sharing before, Haley. But this doesn't mean that, like, this is the end of the story and everything's done. But you really see this, um, this kind of imagery anytime you see something cataclysmic, anything like a, like a 9-11 kind of event happen in the world. It's like this is like a major deal. This is like it's, this is impacting not just like a person or a group, but this is like something that or a global pandemic. It's like this seismic event that just happened. It's just you see kind of this huge like nature. And I think the other piece you see is is – um, you know, a lot of times we talk about sin, like, well, it's just, it's just between you and Jesus, Drew. Like your sin is just, just it's, it's not going to hurt. It's not, it doesn't hurt anybody. It's just, just, it's just you, right? You and God. But you see a lot of, not just in Revelation, but in Genesis where creation is impacted. You see all of creation worshiping God, but you also see all of creation that's impacted by the sinfulness of humanity as well. And so there's, there's this, there's like, I really, I think the best explanation that was given to me years ago is like, think of sin like a virus. Um, and that's easy for us to imagine because we just went through a whole year learning about viruses and trying not to catch viruses. Right. Um, but, you, but, Really, sin is like a virus that works its way in through into all of creation and impacts all of creation. And there needs and the antidote is Jesus. You know, the vaccine, if you will, is is Jesus. Um, Jake's just cringing at me, but it's that's that's biblical language. That's not my language. That's just it's, I mean, I've, I talked about that before twenty twenty. So I'm I'm, gonna, I'm sticking with that. Um. So. Yeah, and the reason why I, I, will, I would say this isn't just the end of the world is because there's still, there's still stuff. And this last part of it just kind of brings this section to a close. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich and the mighty, and everybody and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the, the rocks of the mountains. So if this is literal... What's the point of hiding in the rocks of mountains if the stars are falling out of the sky and the whole, everything just got wrapped up like a scroll? Like it doesn't, what's the point? Like you're not gonna hide from that. Um, but there's a point to this. So they called, on, called the mountains and the rocks 
uh, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. But the great day of the wrath has come and who can withstand it? And really what we're getting to, again, this is, this is kind of to just assure all of these Christians who are being persecuted that like, you don't have to like revolt. You don't have to go, because that's what the zealots wanted to do. The zealots wanted them to have a Christian uprising and to start taking people out. And they wanted the Christian movement to be a revolution, like an actual revolution. And, and John's basically saying, just let Jesus take care of it. Like they're going to get theirs. At some point, everyone who has benefited from the injustice of the world, everyone who's benefited from, you know, doing wrong to Christians, like they're going to get what's coming to them. So just let God do what God's going to do. Um, and when that day comes, they're going to, they, like, they would rather have a boulder crush them to, than to come to face to face with Jesus. Cause it's not going to be, it's not going to be pretty. And I, and I, I realize that, and it's not very like, like popular. You don't, like we talked about last week, it's a lot of worship music that's about like sitting in the throne room. There isn't a lot of like worship music that's like, Jesus, please don't crush me with a boulder. <laughs> you know, like, please don't burn me up with fire. You know, like, that's All not, right, that's not like, that's not our worship songs, right? Like, we don't really focus on this stuff because it's not, it's not nice to think about. This is the stuff, like, this is a nightmare. What we're reading is, like, we talked about, you know, if Revelation 4 and 5 is like a beautiful dream, Revelation 6 is a nightmare. Because it's all of the ugly, dark things of the world that are coming to pass. Have a good time at work, Ashton. Well, I guess a good time, but have a good night at work. <laughs> um, but it, it's comforting to them who hear it because they're the ones who are on the bottom side of this thing. They're the ones who are getting crushed by all of the injustices. Um, Okay, I'm going to pause there before we jump into seven. Um, anything that, because seven will kind of, actually, we, we can, we'll probably get through pretty quickly. Any questions about anything that we've, we plowed through a lot of stuff? So, yeah, can you just recap why Seal 6 is so detailed about, like, what's going on? Like, why Seal 6 is in there? Like, we just talked about it, but I need to recap. Why it's so detailed and just that there's more and, like, to it? Don't, yeah, yeah. Like, if we're not going to take it literally, then how are we taking it? Um, I, I think what, the way we're taking it is just that there is going to be a culmination of all these things. Okay. And there is going to be um, – there is going to be justice for all those people who think they're getting away with it. Because mm-hmm. I think that's – I think a, a genuine concern for people throughout history is – Let's just be honest. There's a lot of people who do wrong who get away with it, who seem to get away with it, who never spend a day in jail, who never pay a dollar of a penalty, who never they just they just go through life and they and it's like, why do I why am I killing myself being righteous when these guys over here are getting rich and seem to be having a great life by doing really awful things to people? Like what's my motivation for being good? You know, and essentially this is, this is Jesus showing John, like, 
you might not ever see it in this life, but it's coming. Okay. <laughs> like it's like they are going to get theirs. There are there is going to be there are consequences for living this kind of a life. Okay. Um, so we get to verse seven or chapter seven, and whenever it says after this, again, don't get so caught up in any of this about like. Well, that if there's a war, then there's going to have to be a famine, and there's going to have to be, or there's the creation, you know, stars are falling out of the sky, and then they're hiding in the rocks, and then there, it's, it's more just like, I kind of talked about it's dream logic. You know, as you're in a dream, it's like you, you see this, and then you see that, and then you see this. Like, it's just more, this is the sequence of John experiencing these things. So after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, and again, it's just kind of how they thought about the world holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or any tree. And when we talk about the winds, I mean, think about like gale force wind, hurricane wind. And it kind of goes back to that idea of the fourth, like, like God is instructing like for us not to just get completely wiped out by things. Like there's, there's a sense that God is like holding back the worst that could happen to us. Um, I saw another angel coming up from the east, um, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Um, Then I heard the number of those who were being sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And it goes through, I'm not going to, read through all of them, but it goes through essentially the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's been, again, so much that has been made out of the 144,000. Like, I think it's the Jehovah's Witnesses that they only believe there's a hundred, like there's only 144,000 people that are going to get to go to heaven. Everybody else is screwed. Like it's a finite number. And so you really want to try to make yourself one of those 144,000. Um, So it's, it's basically just like, it's 12 and 12 times a thousand. There's, there's like adding, it's like, it's, it's, or it's like 12, what is 144 divided by 12? 12. 12. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like the, it's like multiplied and they're just adding like the, the three zeros at the end of it essentially. It's, it's, the idea is, it's kind of like what I shared in my sermon on Sunday, the, I, yesterday, the idea is just like, it's everybody. It's all of God's people. That's really, even though it goes through a name, and it's really, the interesting thing about the tribes of Israel, if you actually go through and look at it, there's certain tribes that are in this list that aren't another list. There's some, there's like, there's very rarely ever like the same, like we always think about, well, there's the 12 tribes. Well, but sometimes like, like I know in this one, like Dan isn't listed in, in this one. And some people speculate why that is. And, but there's other ones that are, Levi's in this one and, Benjamin's in this one, and Joseph, you know, it's like... What it, if that was intentional to break down expectations? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think it's just, there's something that we're missing, and there's, again, there's a lot of, like, speculation. My experience with Revelation is, like, it's not really super helpful to get... That's why I was going to say, like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, because I don't think it was meant to be spent a lot of time on it. I think it was really meant to be... The point that is, is trying to be made is, like, this is all-inclusive, it's like everybody who has put their trust in Jesus is a part of this group 
Because the next verse in verse 9 says, And after this I looked, there was a great multitude that no one could count. So that's really the point. <laughs> the point of... I have a question. Yeah. Like, doesn't this represent, like, wouldn't it be the equivalent of saying, and I heard the number of the sealed, and then, like, infinity? Because, like, to me, where I get the 144,000 is, like, each of those 12,000 numbers is, like, 12 for, like, each of the 12 tribes times 10,000, which is their highest number. Right. Wouldn't it be basically like him saying, well, you know, there's going to be one person from, you know, all of God's people, like one person from each tribe times all of God's people. So it's basically like not like a number, 144,000. It's just like a number in general. Like you could sub any number in there, but really he's saying like, and I heard the number of the sealed infinity. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And essentially it's just like I heard the number of the sealed all of God's people. Yeah, exactly, 100%. And the whole idea of sealed. So I don't know if pretty quick here we're going to talk about the mark of the beast, that's like the dum-dum-dum, what's the mark of the beast and all this kind of stuff. And everybody's been, um, the real focus on, there's a, because there's a seal of God on people's foreheads, and then later on you're going to have a mark of the beast on people's foreheads. And really it's the idea of God claiming, like, I claim Drew. Drew's one of my people. <laughs> and, and Drew, like, everybody knows that Drew's one of my people because he's committed his life to that. And so it's like he's wearing this, like, Thing on his forehead that you can't miss it. If, if you got something on your forehead, unless you're wearing like a hat, it's hard to it's hard to cover that up. And so that's the idea, is that these are the people that have like aligned them purpose and purposely intentionally aligned themselves with God. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same kind of idea. It's, it's like Ash Wednesday is the same thing, right? When you get ashes on your forehead, it's like to say, like, I am the Lord. It's essentially like I, I'm going I'm to, which is why whenever people say, like, well, don't get vac- the vaccine because it's got a chip in it. And that's the mark of the beast, which I don't think has a chip in it. But um, or, you know, don't do this. Don't because it, you're missing the point. The point of the of the seal or a mark and again we're going to get more into this in the weeks ahead is these are the people who have said i am with jesus and my allegiance and my loyalty are with jesus or my allegiance is with something that's not jesus or anti-jesus and i am intentionally aligning myself with that jesus isn't going to be like well drew got tricked into getting the mark of the beast you're going to hell you know like that's not that's not what what that's not what happens like God isn't, you don't get tricked into following Jesus or not following or, or, or like walking. Like that doesn't happen. It is a person like making a, I, that old hymn, like I've decided to follow Jesus. Like you have to decide one way or the other. You have to decide I'm going to align myself with this or I'm going to align myself with that. And so that's really what the seal is about. It's the people that have aligned. And so I, I, I preached this yesterday, so I don't want to get into every, but again, this is intended to be all-inclusive. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I talked about it. Um, I actually have the exact numbers written in my Bible. Um, again, according to the one count, there's 17,104 people groups in the world, and there's 7,160 Two that are considered unreached in our world, which means they haven't had, they either don't have 
the scripture in their own language. They don't have any kind of a gospel movement in their midst. And so what that means for us today in approximately a 7.67 billion person global population, there's about 3.19 billion people that haven't even had a chance to hear this message yet. Which is a lot. It's a lot. So, again, I would say, based on this, you could definitely make the case to say, this scene is going to happen. But until the rest of the 3.19 billion people get a chance to hear, the scene is not going to, it's not yet. And so you say, well, how can we, how can he, how can John see it in the first century? Well, I think God's giving him a vision of like, this is, What's, this is the culmination. Again, how encouraging would that have been for these people who are getting beat down? Who, I mean, their churches are not big. You don't have like, you know, um, you don't have like a church of the resurrection with like 10,000 people gathering together. There's like a few hundred people gathering in pockets here and there. And a lot of times at this, by this point, they're gathering in secret, gathering in caves. They're gathering. So, I mean, the Romans... Oh, and, and not just the Romans, there's been several governments throughout history that have really tried hard to just get rid of Christianity. The Soviet Union's another one. Stalin killed way more Christians than Hitler killed Jews. That's not to minimize what Hitler did to Jews at all, but we don't hear a lot about what Stalin did to Christians in Russia, and he, he killed like, I think it's like 10 million Christians in World War II. It's, it's, it's bad. So there's been governments definitely throughout history that have done, have really tried to do this thing. Um, so this is like the encouragement of like, hey, even though you feel like, you know, this, this, is, this is against you, like you're, um, this is going to be triumphant. And the whole salvation, I mean, we think about salvation um, a lot of times in terms of like our personal salvation, but really it's like God's going to save us out of this. God's going to save us out of this stuff. Um, it talks about, you know, the, the elders and the four living creatures that brings us back a couple weeks ago to revelation four and five, of uh, this all trying to get this picture of all creation. And they are again, ascribing to God, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And by saying that, that's not, we're not doing that for Caesar. We're not doing that for the Roman empire. Um, and then this is what I didn't preach about yesterday. So in verse 13, it says, Then the elders asked me, These in the white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and have, have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This translation of the great tribulation um, has caused a lot of issues the last 150 years of the church. Because there's been theologians who have grabbed onto the great tribulation and say, oh, there's going to be this great tribulation someday, and that's like a period of time. And what John was trying to get at is, is no, if you follow Jesus, it's going to be hard. And what the Christians were facing and what they would face in the next 200 years after this is written is, like the Roman Empire tried really hard to just kill off all the Christians, they really did. They didn't succeed, but they tried really hard. And so this is John, Jesus through John saying, there's going to be this awful time coming for you. And um, you're going to come through it. And even if you die, you're going to come through it on the other side and be in this great multitude. Um, 
And so um, it talks about that they are washed their robes. They're, they're white because of the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they before the throne of God um, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And, and the literal Hebrew, or the, not the little Hebrew, the literal Greek is he'll build a shelter, like a tent. He'll, God will pitch his tent over you is what that means. God's going to cover over you. And that, again, that's a great comfort to those who are going through this. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be doubt on them, nor will scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that you're going to, we're going to see that recapped at the end of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22. But this is just the hope. Like, even if you go through life, and life is really hard, and you face all these adversity, like, if you stick with Jesus, this is the promise for you. This is how this, the culmination of this. So again, and so um, next week, we're going to go back through um, 8, 9, and 10, actually, we're going to do next week. And it's going to recap all over again. <laughs> it's like, a, it's, it's going to come back and come back. And so they're, you're going to see like, and, with, and it's going to pick up details every time. But this is really the heart of Revelation. It's a book of hope. It's to say, you know, it's, it's going to be way easier for you probably to not walk this road, but take courage because it's worth it. It's really, if I were to have a summary thesis of the book of Revelation, it's, it's hang in there because it's worth it. Okay, that was a lot. I just threw at you in like an hour and 17 minutes and 25 seconds. So what, are you just want to go to home and go to sleep and have questions? <laughs> like what, 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 uh, any thoughts, any questions? Right, stir the pot. Stir the pot, brother. <laughs> Love it. Okay. I mean, it's kind of skipping. We're going through all of Revelation, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm not going to steal your thunder by, like, really diving super far ahead. But, like, the tension. So you said there's, like, three things happening. Things that have happened in the past that are happening now and that will happen in the future, right? It kind of gives you. Okay. So when, when you're dealing with the part where you're, like, looking ahead towards the future, some of my friends have looked at like some of like the hope. So like there's, there's like really scary stuff in Revelation, but there's also, there's also hope. And I've seen people look at that and say, it's our responsibility to embody that, that we need to enact it. God's already ordained it, it's gonna happen. We just need to press the button by like kicking this thing into gear. And I brought that up with my uncle and he says it to him, with him, that's like the epitome of taking the Lord's name in vain. And specifically whenever I brought it up with a political agenda. <laughs> and I was like, what are these times? I'm trying to be like discreet a little bit. <laughs> I was like, when these types of people that think this way, look at the Bible and like, just kind of like slap it together and say like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. He said that that's taking Jesus name in vain. Whenever you try to use this as like a weapon for your political agenda. Mm-hmm. So I love that you brought that up. Um, in the 1800s, um, there was a, a theme in Christianity, especially in America, called triumphalism. And there was this real idea that, like, and, and part of this, there was like a, there, it, was, it was cool. There was, like, a huge explosion of missions 
in evangelism, and they'd have these things called tent meetings, you know, where they would get everybody in the, you know, they'd set up these tents, and they'd have these preachers, and all these people would trust in Jesus, and and so, and there was a lot being done with, like, I mean, it's it's pretty cool, socially conscious, there was a lot of work with the poor, there was a lot of work with orphans, Um, there were Christian abolitionists that were getting, like, slavery laws passed, and so there was a point where early 1800s, people thought, we're going to bring in the kingdom of God. We're going to do it. If we just do, if we just work really hard, like we're going to, it's going to get to the point where Jesus is going to come back because we, we did it. We made, we, we, we made it happen, everybody. We're, Cause this is going to happen. And then the civil war happened and you had Christians on both sides slaughtering each other. And then we got out of that. It's like, okay, that was a speed bump, but no, we're going to do this. And then it kicked back off again. You had like all this evangelism happening and all this like, good social action. And again, it was beautiful stuff. And then World War I happened, which was like not just America. It's this brutal conflict that's just some of the most savage warfare that had ever happened, right? You have chemical warfare and you have all this stuff. And that is where that triumphalism really took a huge hit. And people were like, well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe actually. And actually, that was the point where um, both the Civil War and World War I is where some of the theology of, like, if you've ever read, like, the Left Behind book or seen the Left Behind movies, where it's like, things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. God's people are going to get raptured out of here. And then it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And then Jesus is going to come back. That's where that stuff started getting popular because it's like, it's going to happen. Look how bad it's getting. It's getting terrible. We just had a world. We had a world war, and all, millions of people died. I guess this is how it's going to go out. And again, I I put the both of those in the category of like the predicting the end of the world kind of a thing. Like when we try to take this into our own hands too much, I think is where the church is really veered off course. Whether and I've seen it both ways. I've seen it being like let's just do as much good as possible, and we'll make the kingdom of God come into come into play or this place is going is like it's going to hell in a handbasket it's like you might as well not even try and you see that in christianity right you see that in you know some of the anti-environmentalism stuff and anti it's just like well it's all going to burn up anyway screw it just let it happen and like neither side is good like to say that we're going to make it happen or to say it's completely out of our hands like neither is correct so I think it is, at the end of the day, I think what I might take away from Revelation 6 and 7 is what God has put in front of you, that's what you should do. You know, whatever God has called you to in this season of your life, you're faithful to that. And, you know, don't think that you can make the kingdom of God happen, but also don't think, like, it's too big for you because neither of those things are true. Like, you need to be faithful to whatever task God has put in front of you, that's what you should be doing. That's how I'd respond to that. Mm. Anything else? That was a great question. Because mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think that's kind of like the ditch. Like there's a road to go down and there's like a ditch of like giving up. Mm. And there's a ditch of getting a little cocky. Um, having said that, it's certainly not a bad thing to go and share your faith. It's certainly not a bad thing to care for widows and orphans. It's certainly not a bad thing. So... I just don't think you should do that with the mentality of like, if I do this, then God will, Jesus will come back. I think it, you have to deal with the mentality of like, 
this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to care for people and to that's just being faithful. That's it's just it's more about motivation. I think you should you should pursue those things. Just don't do it thinking like somehow we're gonna force force. Well, I guess God God's like I guess I gotta come back because they did all the work. Like you know kind of thing. I don't know if that's what you're saying, but I think I have seen that though in history where. Um, and then the problem is what happens is when you have that mentality, things get better, 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 better. When the disaster comes, it just shipwrecks people's faith. Cause they're like, I thought the kingdom of God was coming like next year cause we were doing such a good job. And now there's a world war. I guess this, none of this is true. And then they just bail. So that's, that's the danger of, of that. Um, anything else? So kind of going off of what Drew said, like, based on, like, what all happened here, would you, like, lump any of this into the category of has happened or is happening, or would you lump it all into the future category of will happen? Because I know, like, we talked about you know, like prices fluctuating at certain points in history and like quarter of the population dying like during the Black Plague and stuff like that, so. Yeah, I mean, I think, I would think all of this is in that category of, there's aspects of all this, all this is always happening. Like it is happening and will continue to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think there's a chorus of, a multicultural chorus of people that are currently praising God and they obviously they don't have all the people groups yet, but. It's gaining steam, and so that's happening at this moment, which is a beautiful thing. And there's also a lot of, you know, death and famine and war and injustice. And we as Christians have to navigate all that, you know. But also, I think this also gives us a guide to say, like, it's okay. Like, if you get to the point in your life where you're like, this sucks, like God, when I look at the when I look at the TV or I I see what's going on in my community, like this is really hard. Like, I think we are not very good at lamenting. Like we just want to have the quick answer, but Jesus will make it all right. Drew, it's okay. Jesus is going to make it all right, so don't worry about it. Don't like this stuff should break your heart. You know, and I shared about that yesterday in my in my message. Like like the stuff that's wrong with our planet should it, it should mess with you. And it's okay to, like, bring that stuff to God and not just, like, <clears throat> be like, oh, but it's okay. Like, no, it's, it's not okay. And to wonder, and it's a, God gives us space to wrestle through that kind of stuff. Like, you know, Haley, you talked about, you know, your mom dealing with, with that. Like, it's okay to, like, pray those prayers being like, I'm not happy right now. Like, that's okay. That's part of... I think real life with God is like when you go through those seasons of things happening is to be able to be vulnerable to God and God. It's modeled in scripture a lot of people doing that. So um, I want to encourage you that if you've ever felt like guilty about kind of having like a, an angry session with God, like even in Job, like Job's friend, like Job's friends are the ones that come to him and are like, you must've done something bad, Job for all this stuff. And, and like, those are the ones at the end when God's like, your friends are idiots. Like Job, like you're you're good, Job. The rest of your friends are a bunch of punks, and they're steering you steering you wrong. So God never says to Job, like he does say he questions him and says, "Who are you?" But he never says you shouldn't have been upset. He never says that. So that's that's all right.
All right. Are we running out of steam? Any more steam? Any other? Any other uh, I love it, by the way. I love like throwing throwing the wrench in. <laughs> okay, we're gonna put a, put a, we're gonna put a pin in this tonight. But um, let me pray for us, and um, we'll get into some more next week. God, thanks for tonight. Um, God, we, we, we're running so fast through this scripture. There's so much more to, to mine out of it, but um, just trying to get our hands around why this book matters. And it matters because there, we do look at um, our world and we, we're, we're, not, we're not persecuted like the early churches, Lord, but we see things that aren't right. And we see things that break our hearts and break your heart, and we don't always know what to do. God, thanks for the reminder in the scripture, Lord, though, that you are involved and that you are at work and that you are inviting us into being involved in our worlds. And um, God, you are not a God of, of bloodshed. You're not a God of um, famine or um, God, you're a God of justice. And sometimes, God, that justice is kind of scary. So, um, Remind us, Lord, of that it, the people who stood around your throne, they could wear white because of you, because you paid for our sin. But remind us, Lord, that um, what you did for us, Lord, because we, we take it for granted. Um, we want to be faithful. We want to follow you. We love you so very much in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.